Welcome to the Kaleo Life Podcast. You can find more resources for gospel living and information about us by going to our website, kaleo.community. Enjoy today's sermon. Have you ever uh, started a project and then left it unfinished? Maybe there is a, a, a shed you started building uh, last year and it's now it's all rained on. It probably got flooded. <laughs> or maybe you started a quilt and, I don't know, you ran out of material or you were not as, as happy with it and now it's just collecting dust or water if it was <laughs> in the shed. Um, or whatever it is that you... That, that you have started and just left it undone. Why, why do you think that, that sometimes we start a project and then we forget about it? Why do you think that is? Okay, Facebook. We get, so distractions. We get distracted. Okay, priorities. I, I think that's, that's probably one of the main ones, right? Like if, if finishing that project is your priority, then you're going to do it. But when something else occupies that priority in your mind, then you, you go do that other thing. Um, sometimes it could be discouragement. You know, oh man, this quilt is just so hard or this song that I'm writing or this article or book that I'm writing or this thing that I'm building is just too hard or sometimes I don't have the materials for it or I ran out of money, ran out of materials, uh, ran out of motivation. Um, the people of Israel at the time that the word of God came to the prophet Haggai, they were on a very similar boat. They had started a project and then they left that project unfinished. And just uh, let me give you a little bit of context as to what's going on in the book of Haggai. So remember that we have been talking about building the temple and we just finished talking about David uh, commending his son Solomon to build the temple. And this is the first temple that was built. There, there was a tabernacle. And then eventually, after, after several years of being in the promised land, Solomon finally built a temple. Now, the years went by. Unfortunately, Solomon did not obey God's commands. That's one of the things we read in in. in First Chronicles 28 and 29, David repeated over and over, you have to obey God's commands. If you forsake him, he will forsake you. And so Solomon actually disobeyed God. Little by little, he started disobeying God's commands. Uh, um, eventually, his sons, Rehoboam and, and Jeroboam, they ended up dividing the kingdom. They ended up uh, uh, the northern kingdom, which was, was called Israel, and then the southern kingdom, which was called Judah, they ended up just being divided. The kingdoms remained divided. Israel was, uh, generally speaking, more idolatrous than Judah. And so Israel went into captivity first after the prophets went and warned them multiple times to go back to the Lord. They were taken into captivity and destroyed pretty much. And then Judah even though they had a few more righteous kings here and there, like King Josiah, King Asa, they eventually went into captivity as well by the Babylonians. And when the Babylonians invaded Judah, they destroyed the temple. They destroyed the temple that Solomon had built. And they took the people into captivity. They were there for several years, but the prophets promised that, it, well, God promised through the prophets that they would go back to the land. And so eventually they went back to the land. If you want to read more on this, you can read the book of uh, Nehemiah, uh, Ezra, Nehemiah, Jeremiah. You can read those books uh, and see how the people of Israel went back to the promised land, specifically the people from the kingdom of Judah. And so what happened, and I'm just going to give you a summary. You can go back and read Ezra, but I'm just going to give you a summary of the book of Ezra or at least of that particular section, uh, they went into the land, the city lay in ruins, the temple lay in ruins, and so they started building an altar. 
they build an altar for, uh, so that they could offer sacrifices, so that they could offer uh, uh, offerings to God. And they did this specifically because they were afraid. They were surrounded by other nations. They were surrounded by their adversaries. And so because they were afraid, they, they built an altar. Um, eventually, they started building a temple. And they actually laid the whole foundation of the temple. They finished the foundation of the temple. And they were excited. They were encouraged. But then when their adversaries heard that they were building a temple, first, they presented themselves as uh, as good people. And they said, hey, we actually worship the same God. We've been worshiping God for all this time that you guys were gone. Let us come and help you build the temple. But the people of Israel knew that they didn't actually worship God in the way that God wanted to be worshiped. They didn't, got, they didn't worship God in the place that God commanded them to worship him. And so they told them no. And once they said no to them, they were no longer friendly. And it says in Ezra 4.4 that the people of the land discouraged the people of Judah and made them afraid to build and bribed counselors against them to frustrate their purpose. All the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. So the people started discouraging them. They were building the temple. They finished the foundation, but they were discouraging them. They were trying to uh, stop them from building the temple. And then eventually, they came up with a plan. They wrote a letter to King Artaxerxes, who was the king in between uh, Cyrus and, and Darius. They wrote a letter to King Artaxerxes. And amongst the things that they said, this, this is one of the things that they said. Be it known to the king that the Jews who came up from you to us have gone to Jerusalem. They are rebuilding that rebellious and wicked city. They are finishing the walls and replacing the foundations. Now be it known to the king that if this city is rebuilt and the walls finished, they will not pay tribute, custom or toll, and the royal revenue will be impaired. And so the king read this letter. He looked back into the, into the history books and saw that indeed Jerusalem had rebelled against multiple people that were trying to occupy them. And so the king order the work to stop immediately. He ordered for the, for the building of the temple to cease immediately. And this is one of the things. Oh, and, and so once they received the letter from King Artaxerxes, this is what the adversaries of the people of Judah did. They said, oh, sorry, when, they, when the copy of King Artaxerxes' letter was read before Rehum and Shimshai, the scribe of their associates, they went in haste to the Jews at Jerusalem and by force and power made them cease. Then the work of the house of God that is in Jerusalem stopped, and it ceased until the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. So the people of Israel were trying to rebuild the temple, and they were facing opposition. First, the, op- the opposition was intimidation and discouragement and, and bribing officials and things like that. <clears throat> But eventually, the persecution turned more political, right? Even the king himself was saying, you can no longer build the temple. And so these people used the authority of the king to get them to stop building the temple. And it says that they, by force and by power, made them cease. So at the time that the word of God came to Haggai, I think we have enough information to, to kind of fill in the gaps and, and, and think that perhaps the people of Israel, the people of Judah, at first, when they, were, when they were made to cease to build the temple, they were discouraged and they were, uh, they were afraid. And, and you know, they, they, perhaps they saw the foundation of the temple there and it was, it was, saddening to them. It was, it was difficult for them to see it. Kind of like, you know, when you start a project and, and you know that you've been neglecting it and it's, it's been there, it makes you sad to see it unfinished. But I, I, I would guess that little by little, they became more comfortable. They became more complacent. Little by little, that foundation just kind of became a, you know, 
just a part of the of the uh, of the landscape. And I think we have enough information, especially in the book of Haggai. They became to prioritize their own hopes, right? They they couldn't build the temple. The king said that they couldn't build the temple. However, they did enjoy some freedom, even though they were they were a vassal of the kingdom of Persia. They enjoyed some freedom, and so they could build their homes. They could plant their their their, their land. They could work their land. They could uh, uh, plant produce, and and you know just focus on their regular everyday lives without having a temple. But this clearly was not God's will for them. God wanted them to have a temple. God wanted them to have a place where his presence could dwell among them, where they could go and offer sacrifices to God, where they could meet with God. And so this was actually very different from David's attitude, right? Remember David, how he said, I want to build a house for the Lord. And then God said, no, actually, I'm going to build you a house. But these people, on the other hand, they have gotten to a point where they said, no, I want to build a house for me while the house of the Lord lays in ruins. So Haggai's main exhortation, I believe, and, and, and this really translates for us very neatly in, as we speak of the theme of building the church, building the temple, Haggai's main exhortation for the people was prioritize building God's temple. And the exhortation that I want all of us to have is let us prioritize building God's church. Let us prioritize building God's church. So through the book, I want to look at a few reasons why we should prioritize God's temple, the church. And I want to spend just a little bit of time here because we've already talked about this connection between the temple and the church, but just as a way of a reminder, uh, I, I want to remind you that the temple in the Old Testament, it was a physical location, right? Something like that made out of stone and it was where God's presence dwelled among his people. And the temple was a place where the, the high priest would go and offer sacrifices on behalf of the people. Um, but remember that that theme of God's presence was moving or, or was uh, evolving, right? It all started in the Garden of Eden where God's presence was with his people, but then they were kicked out of Eden. Eventually, God brought them out of Egypt and that he commanded them to build the tabernacle where his presence would be among them. And then when they entered the promised land, Solomon built the temple where God's presence would be with his people. It got destroyed. Then when the people went back to the land, they rebuilt the temple. God's presence was there. It got destroyed again by the Roman Empire. It got rebuilt again. And, and, and at the times of Jesus, Jesus still you know, sees the temple as a place of worship, as a place of communion with God. But when Jesus comes, he does, well, John does say the word became flesh. He dwelled among us. He tabernacled among us. Jesus does say that his body is the temple of God. And then he, he died on the cross. He rose again. He ascended into heaven and he sent his Holy Spirit to dwell in his people who are the temple of the living God. So that, that was like a very, very quick summary of something that we've already talked about in, in a little bit more detail. But that is the connection. The connection is that the church today is God's dwelling place. And by church, again, I, you guys are going to get tired of me saying this, but by church, I don't mean this building, right? I don't mean that when we walk outside of those doors, we leave God's presence behind us. No. God's presence is with us, with his people, among us. We the people, we are God's temple. The spirit of God dwells in us. And so when we talk about building the temple, our goal, our priority is not to say, or, or you know, when I say prioritize the building of the temple, I am not saying stop remodeling your home and come remodel this castle. No, that's not what I'm saying. This building, sorry, I, I'm so used to calling it the castle. That's not what I'm saying. When I'm saying prioritize building the temple, what I mean is make it your goal, make it your priority to build God's church, to edify Christ's church. 
and as we are going to see, that's that's the greatest endeavor that we can engage in. So, why should we prioritize building the temple? Well, let's read uh, the first few verses. This book is neatly divided into months. So you're going to see little month divisions, and that's how the book is divided. Those are good things to look for when you're reading a book. Look for things that will divide the book for you, and that way you you can distinguish one section from the other. Um, Chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now, therefore, Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, it, I blew it away. Why? Declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins. While each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills on the grain. Sorry. I have called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast, and on all their labors. So why should we focus on building the temple? So as you can see in the book of Haggai, what, what was going on is, the people were prioritizing their houses. Their houses were paneled and well-built. They were working the land. They were prioritizing themselves and their own needs while the house of the Lord laid in ruins. And so one of the reasons that we should prioritize God's temple is because God takes pleasure in his church. God takes pleasure in his temple and he is glorified. By it. Notice what he tells him. He says in, uh, in verse 7, sorry, verse 8, Go up to the hills and bring wood and build a house, that I may take pleasure in it, and that I may be glorified. God cares a lot about his temple. He has made it very clear. You can, you can think of each one of those uh, temple-like figures that we've talked about, right? In Eden, when Adam and Eve sin against God, God cares about the place of his presence and he kicks Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden. He sets an angel guarding the entrance of the garden because he cares about the holy, the holiness of his temple. In the tabernacle, the people could not just randomly go into the tabernacle. If anyone got close to the tabernacle, if anyone touched the curtain of the tabernacle, they would die. Because God cares a lot about his temple. In the Solomon, in the, in the, in the temple that Solomon built, same thing. The temple that was rebuilt, same thing. And now in the church, same thing. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. In 1 Corinthians 3, Paul is talking about building the temple and he's talking about the materials that are used for building the temple. And then he said, and by temple, he means the church. And then in verse 16, he says, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? 
if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. So God intimately cares about his temple. And so when just as he is angry and upset when people destroy his temple, he takes pleasure when people are focusing on his temple, building his temple. Notice what Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Paul says, I hope, verse 14, I hope to come to you soon, but I am, I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. So this is what God thinks about his temple, about the church. The church is the pillar and the buttress of truth. This is the place where God dwells. And therefore, if we want to glorify God, if we want to please God, then we need to focus on building his temple. Another reason for building the temple is that when we don't, when we prioritize other things, we miss out on God's blessings. And now I want to clarify here. I am not saying, I, I'm not taking this passage and immediately jumping to, to our time and age and saying, if you do not focus on the church, when you work, you're not going to make as much money. And when you plant things, you're not going to reap as much produce. And, and whatever it is, you're just not going to, God is just, is not going to bless you. Why do I not do that? Well, because here Haggai is reminding the people of Israel of the covenant that God made with them and that they made with God at Mount Sinai. At Mount Sinai, God told them, you have to obey these commandments. And if you obey these commandments, I am going to prosper you in the land. If you obey these commandments, I'm going to make you fruitful and I'm going to multiply you and and everything that you have, you will be prosperous. But if you do not obey these commands, then basically all the curses that I sent to Egypt, I'm going to send to you. If you do not obey these commands, then you are not going to be fruitful. You are not going to have enough produce. You are going to be in need and in want. And so Haggai here is reminding the people and he's showing them the evidence. He's, he's, he's asking them, when you guys work, what happens to your money? It just goes away. When you go get grain from the, from the uh, you know, from wherever you store your grain, it's almost as, as if you're putting it in, in, in bags that have holes. You are not being prospered because you are not prioritizing God's temple. And so that's why Ezra, sorry, that's what, ne nope, I'm just going to go through all of them. That's what Haggai is telling the people of Israel. And so what do I mean by we miss out on God's blessings when we do not prioritize his church? Well, we are no longer under the old covenant. We don't have a covenant in which God says, you have to obey my laws and I will make you prosperous in the land. However, we do have a covenant with God, a covenant in which he saved us. We are members of the new covenant. He he put hearts of uh, flesh in us and, and he's, um, he made us a part of his people. And there are blessings that come in this covenant. There are spiritual blessings that come with this covenant. And when we neglect the church, when we neglect God's church, we miss out on these blessings. When we neglect God's church, we miss out on fellowship with other believers. If you neglect God's church, if you start focusing on your own things and you forget about God's church, you are going to miss out on the building up that happens when you are gathered with the church. You are going to miss out on the ministry of those that are exercising their spiritual gifts to edify you. And likewise, you are missing out on the opportunity of using your spiritual gifts to bless others and to minister to others. When you neglect God's church, you miss out on remembering his sacrifice as we do it every Sunday during communion. Now, 
God can do whatever he wants. And he would be completely within his right to actually withhold material blessings from us if we neglect his church, if we neglect the building of his temple. And so I think we need to be sensitive to that and, and, and think about, okay, something must be going on here because I'm working really hard and, I, and I'm, um, you know, doing all of these things. Why am I not prospering? I'm not saying that it always works like that, right? Because there are believers that are not prospering and that are suffering persecution. And that doesn't mean that they're not being faithful to God. But I do think that every single thing that happens, we need to ask God and say, God, what are you trying to tell me? here? Why are things not going the way that I want them to go? Could it be that I'm prioritizing myself and my own things instead of prioritizing your church and building your temple? So we miss out on blessings. Specifically, we miss out on the spiritual blessings that come with prioritizing God's church. Now, another reason for building the temple, and this is um, more of an encouragement, more of a, of a, a yeah, an encouragement to, to, to be motivated to build the temple is that God is in our midst and he stirs our spirit to do the work. So let's read uh, verses 12 through 15. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God has sent him. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts with their God. Sorry, the, the Lord of hosts, their God. On the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. So the people heard Haggai's exhortation. The people heard God's word for them and they began the work of rebuilding the temple. But notice what happened. Notice what things had to happen before they started rebuilding the temple. One of them was God's encouragement of saying, I am with you. I am in your midst. And so this is a great encouragement for us because I imagine that the people of Israel, the, the people of Judah, I imagine that they were frightened, right? The, the king had told them not to build. Their adversaries had brought a letter from the king and by force they had ordered them to stop to build the temple. And so I'm guessing that they were afraid. And that's why God gives them this encouragement. And he says, I am with you. And then not only that, but God was the one who stirs, who stirs their spirit to work. And this is, this is totally God's mercy. God gives us a command. God gives us an order. God gives us a mission. He encourages us with his presence and he stirs our spirit to do it. And this is, this is really good news for us because it means that we do, we are not building God's temple, God's church, with our own strength, with our own might. We can look at all the projects that we have left undone, that we have left unfinished, and just say, man, if it were up to me, the church would never be built. But the good, the good thing, the awesome thing, is that it is God who stirs our spirit. Jesus is the one who is ultimately building his church, and we are Christ's body. And therefore, Whatever we are doing in building the church, it's ultimately the work of Christ in us. It is ultimately Christ steering us by his spirit. And he deserves all the worship for that. It means that if we use our gifts for his glory, it's for him, for his glory. He's the one that stirred our heart. If we, uh, if we give our tithing to the church, 
It's because of him. He stirred our spirit to do it. He put it in our hearts to do it. If we sacrifice of our time to share the gospel to someone, it's not our own doing. It's God who stirred our hearts to do it. So God is in our midst and he stirs us to do, or he stirs our spirit to do the work. Now, another motivation, another reason for building the temple is that God is blessing the work. God is behind it. God is blessing the work. So notice what uh, he tells them in chapter two, starting in verse one. In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people and say, who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in, in your eyes? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. According to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not, for thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. And I will shake the nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. So they were people who had lived long enough to have seen the, form, the first temple, the temple that Solomon built. And so when they saw the foundation of the new temple, when they saw the beginning of the work of, the, of this new temple, they couldn't help but notice that it was not as good as the first one. They couldn't help but notice that it was not as glorious as the first one. The second temple, what they, they say it was as nothing in comparison to the first one. And I imagine that, you know, they, they read the prophets, they, or, or not only they read the prophets, the prophets spoke to them. And the prophets have a lot of really uh, uh, positive things to say about the temple. And so I wouldn't be surprised if they were feeling a little bit discouraged, if they were feeling a little bit of a disconnect saying, okay, we have these promises that God has made to us. And God has said that this temple is going to be glorious. But we're looking at this temple and it's not as great as the first one. And we know that we are God's chosen people, but we are still under the, under the, the rule of the Persian empire. And we don't really have a lot of power here. And so God gives them encouragement through Haggai, the prophet. And he tells them, continue to build the temple because I am blessing this work. He says, I will bring riches from all nations. He says, I will shake the heavens and the earth. I will shake the nations and I will bring riches to this temple. Now, while I believe that part of that promise was that there was actually going to come some uh, material uh, uh, wealth to the temple. I can't help but notice that idea of God shaking the nations. and. I think that we are part of the fruit of this promise. I think that we, the nations, we, the, the, the Gentiles, we used to be Gentiles. We used to be, or, or yeah, we used to be not a part of God's people. We used to be uh, foreigners and aliens, and, and, and we did not belong to God's people. We would have never been allowed to enter God's temple in the old covenant, or at least you know, we had to go through, we would have had to go through a lot of uh, uh, procedures to enter God's temple. But as a people, we were foreign to this. But then we read in the book of Ephesians that Christ broke down the wall of hostility 
And now we are welcomed into God's people. Now we are welcomed into God's temple. Now we are God's temple. And so I believe that this shaking of the nations is ultimately God bringing the nations to this temple. I think that God is giving them an even greater picture of what this temple is going to be like. He says the the glory of the latter, the latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former. So again, there it is. God is saying that something greater is coming. This temple might not look as great to you. This temple might not be as great as the temple that Solomon built. But I am telling you that it's going to be even better. I am telling you that the glory of the latter temple is going to be way better than the glory of the former temple. And I think that sometimes we, like the people of Israel, can grow discouraged. Because we also have, you know, we have the prophets and we have all of these promises. And and we have promises like this one, right? That it talks about a, a greater temple. And, and we know that the church is is a fulfillment of these promises. But then we look at the state of the church. We look at how a lot of people seem to be abandoning the church, abandoning the faith. We see how the church, at least here in this country, does not seem to be growing. It seems to be decreasing. More and more churches die out whether, you know, because they never preach the gospel and so eventually the members just end up dying or they turn to, to you know, liberal theology. They reject their faith in Christ. And so we can be discouraged like the people of Israel. We could say, man, where is this glory that, that, you, that you promised? Where is this, this glorious temple that you talked about? And I think the encouragement is the same for us. God is in our midst. He is blessing this work. He is shaking the heavens and the earth. We read in Hebrews that he is shaking the heavens and the earth and all the things that are visible, they will not stand. But the kingdom of God, which is invisible, is what is going to remain. And so we need to focus on God's kingdom, right? Like, like, Jesus, uh, like Jesus said, um, Seek first the kingdom of God and all things will be added. We need to focus on God's kingdom, even though right now it might seem like, you know, we might be discouraged. It might seem like the church is not doing that well. We have the promise that the glory, the latter glory of the house of God will be greater than the former. And I think that also we should look with hope to the ultimate temple to the ultimate new Jerusalem. Because as good as, as, as amazing as the church is, as good as it is to have God's spirit dwelling among us, can you imagine how much greater it will be to be a citizen of the new Jerusalem? To live in that city with God's presence among us, with God's unhindered presence among us with our new bodies on the new heavens and the new earth, being in the presence of God, being the bride of Christ, the new Jerusalem. And he says, in, that, in, in this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. Peace is what the people of Israel sought after. Jerusalem is the, the city of peace, right? They would greet one another saying, Peace, shalom. And ultimately, God is saying, it is through this temple that I will bring peace. And so that should really, uh, uh, what is the opposite of lower? That should exalt our view of the church because it is through God's temple that he is bringing peace to the world. It is through his temple, the church, that he is accomplishing his purposes on earth. We should have a high view of the church. I feel like a lot of people today have a really low view of the church. A lot of people today say, 
I, I, have, I love Jesus. I love God. I have a relationship with him, but I do not like the church. I've been hurt by the church. Well, guess what? Right now, the way that God is accomplishing his purposes is through the church. One of the best things you can do is to belong to a local church. One of the best things you can do is build God's church. All right, so after this, Haggai gives them, uh, one month after this, Haggai gives them a, uh, a teaching and an analogy that it's uh, a little bit complicated. It's a little bit confusing. And I'm going to read it. And then I just want to give you a really, really brief summary of what I understand this, uh, this teaching to be. So in verse, in chapter two, verse 10, he says, on the 24th day of the ninth month in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to came by Haggai the prophet. Thus says the Lord of hosts, ask the priests about the law. If someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches with his fold bread or stew or wine or oil or any kind of food, does it become holy? The priests answered and said, no. Then Haggai said, if someone who is unclean by contact with a dead body touches any of these, does it become unclean? The priest answered and said, it does become unclean. Then Haggai answered and said, so is it with these people, with this people and with this nation before me, declares the Lord. And so with every work of their hands and what they offer there is unclean. Now then consider from this day onward, before stone was placed upon stone in the temple of the Lord. How did you fare? When, when one came to a heap of 20 measures, there were but 10. When one came to a wine vat the draw, they, to draw 50 measures, they were but 20. I struck you and all the products of your toil with blight and with mildew and with hail, yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. Consider from this day onward, from the 24th day of the ninth month, since the day of the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider, is the seed yet in the barn? Indeed, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have yielded nothing. But from this day on, I will bless you. So, I think the analogy here is trying to explain, well, number one, the analogy is pointing out that the people are defiled. That the people are unclean. They they have not been obeying God's word. They have not been building the temple. They were into exile because of their disobedience. So they are defiled. I think another point here is that Haggai is trying to show how easy it is to become unclean. How difficult it is for something to become clean and how easy it is for something to, for something to become unclean. He's also emphasizing again that God has not blessed them because they have not prioritized his temple. But then he says, once you get back to it, once you start building, or he says, from this day forward, I will bless you. And so the lesson that I, that I want to draw for us here is to the people of Israel under the old covenant, it was, their, their sinfulness was so evident. Day by day, they had to go and offer sacrifices. Whenever they committed a sin, they had to offer sacrifices. Whenever they committed a sin of omission, they had to offer a sacrifice. Whenever they committed a sin and they didn't know about it, well, they made an offering just in case that they forgot about one sin. Once a year, they had to offer a sacrifice of atonement. Once a year, a high priest would go into the temple and offer a sacrifice for the whole people. So it was... At the time, it was a very gracious gift from God to be able to have communion with God in spite of their, of their, of their uh, uncleanliness, in spite of their sinlessness, of their, of their sinfulness. But I think that this is pointing us to something greater. This is pointing us to something bigger, to something more more complete to something more final 
And I think the author of Hebrews really puts it into, into perspective and he really explains it all together very well. And just to give you a summary of, uh, um, you know, one of those passages in Hebrews, I believe that the author is saying that Jesus is the ultimate temple. And I believe that he's also saying that Jesus is the ultimate high priest. And he is also saying that Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice. And so a system that required a temple made with hands was replaced by the body of Jesus. A system that required a high priest to purify himself and to go in once a year and offer a sacrifice was replaced by a high priest that would never die again. He only died once and he rose again and he would live forever. A system that required bringing a bull, bringing a, a, a goat, a sheep, or whatever it was that they needed to offer was replaced by the sacrifice of Jesus who offered himself as the ultimate sacrifice. And so I think this last section of the book is pointing the people of Israel to something greater. It's showing them their sinfulness. It's showing them how easy it is to become unclean. And I think it's, it's pointing them to something greater by saying, you need something better. I will bless you from now on. And, and God is blessing, you know, he, he gives them the blessing of having a temple, being able to offer sacrifices, but they need something, something else, something more. And in this last section of the book, I think it's the same thing. Uh, Zerubbabel, he is a descendant of David. He is from the line of David. And, and he, of course, he knew the promise that God made to David, that there would always be someone sitting on David's throne. But Zerubbabel knew that he was just a vassal of the Persian Empire. He knew that Artaxerxes was ultimately, you know, uh, above him. Or I guess at the time it was Cyrus, sorry, Darius, who was above him. And so Haggai, or God through the prophet Haggai, has a word of encouragement for, for Zerubbabel at the end of the, of the book. In verse 20, he says, The word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai. On the 24th day of the month, speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I am about to shake the heavens and the earth and to overthrow the house, the throne of kingdoms. I am about to destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the nations and overthrow the chariots and their riders. And the horses and their riders shall go down, everyone by the sword of his brother. On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and make you like a signet ring. For I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. So Haggai is, or God through Haggai is encouraging Zerubbabel. He's saying there will be a time where you will actually be empowered. There will be a time where I will defeat the kingdoms. And once again, yet again, this is pointing to someone greater than Zerubbabel. This is pointing to someone who would ultimately defeat all of the kingdoms of the earth. To someone who would reign over all of the kingdoms of the earth. This is pointing to someone who is God's ultimate signet reign. Someone who God ultimately chose. This is the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we can build the temple with confidence knowing that our king, is greater than Zerubbabel. That our king has way more authority than Zerubbabel had at the time. We can build the temple. We can go in face of opposition, in face of political opposition, in face of opposition from family members. We can go on and build the temple because we serve the king of the universe. Because we serve the one who is shaking the heavens and the earth. We serve the one who is shaking the nations and bringing wealth and riches to his temple, the church. He is bringing people to his church and he is putting every single one of his enemies under his feet. And we can serve him with confidence and we can build the temple with confidence. 
So instead of prioritizing our homes, instead of prioritizing our own interests, our goal, our focus should be on building God's temple, on building the church that Christ is building, the church of of which Christ is the head. That should be our focus because Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice, because Jesus is the temple. He is the high priest. He is the sacrifice. And he died for us to make us a part of his temple, a part of his people. Amen? Let's pray. God, thank you that we are your people. Thank you that we serve a king greater than Zerubbabel. Thank you that we do not have to fear opposition. We do not have to fear governors or rulers, authorities, any power in this world, because we fear you, God, and you are the greatest. Please give us boldness, give us motivation to build your church. Help us to remember that you are in our midst, that you are blessing this work. There is a lot of the times we we wonder if you're blessing one thing or another that we're doing, Lord, but there is no question that you are behind the work of building your church. You are actively building your church and the gates of hell will not prevail against her. Help us to get on board with this construction plan. Help us to focus our attention on your kingdom, on your temple, and everything else will be added. Help us to build your temple with our time, with our finances, with our resources, with our focus, through everything that we do that everything that we do, we do it for your glory. Thank you for your son, Jesus. He is the ultimate sacrifice. He is the ultimate temple. Thank you for the sacrifice that he offered us, our high priest, the sacrifice of his own body. And as we celebrate and as we remember that sacrifice that saved us, Help us to be so thankful, Lord. Help us to give you all the glory. Help us to be reminded of your grace for us because there's nothing that we did to earn your salvation, Lord. It is all your grace. In Jesus' name we pray.